0: Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work, a podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with wild hearts who have dared to challenge the status quo. And now, here's your host, Melissa Boggs. Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work. I'm your host, Melissa Boggs. This week, we're going to do a book club. And we're going to talk about the book, The Spark, Igniting the Creative Fire That Lives Within Us All. Uh, it is by created by Lynn Hayward and written by John Bacon. And this particular book has some meaning for me personally. Um, first of all, I love Cirque du Soleil, and this book is essentially sponsored by Cirque du Soleil, or probably put on by the marketing department. But This is a book I've actually used in a number of book clubs over the last five or six years, really. And so this book, like the actual physical book, actually has a ton of you know, those little colored flags. It's got a bookmark. There's highlighting all throughout the book. And so I thought what I would do today is first give you just a bit of a summary about the book, what it's about, in case you're interested in picking it up. And then I thought I'd go through the book and somewhat blind. um, I haven't actually like gone through and picked out specific quotes. I'm actually just going to open to the flags that I have from previous book clubs. And I'll read you a quote and we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, I thought that might be kind of an exciting, impromptu way of approaching a book review. Um, So let me start by just giving you a, a little summary about the book. So essentially it's an allegory. Um, If you've ever read One Minute Manager or um, some of the Lencioni books, they have a similar style where they're telling a fictional story, but the story is intended to teach you lessons about work. And so that's what this book is doing. And in the process of doing so, it's teaching you these lessons, but it's also teaching you a lot about behind the scenes at Cirque du Soleil. So that was the part that I found really interesting and kind of keeps you in the book. Um, Just for a note, it is only 135 pages. So it's a pretty easy read. And again, it's so interesting because they talk about the different artists and uh, athletes at Cirque du Soleil and the different types of work that they do and the different sports involved. So highly recommend the book, obviously. And no, this is not a sponsored podcast, by the way. I have no affiliation with them, but it's just a book that as small as it is and as short as it is really impacted me. And I've shared it with numerous people, you know, since. Um, So if you have been on teams with me in the past couple of years, you might be chuckling a little bit because I have shared this book with you. Uh, So let's get to it very quickly. Uh, The overall summary is it is a gentleman who is a sports agent that is really in a burnt out place in his career. He got into it really excited to help his clients. And, you know, it kind of actually has a Jerry Maguire feel. where you know he's been in it so long that he doesn't really know why he's doing it anymore. He doesn't know why he should care. He doesn't know what his mission is, and he's really just bored. That's really what it sounds like at the beginning of the book. And he's in uh, Las Vegas, and for some reason he gets, uh, he ends up going to the building where Cirque du Soleil is. I believe he's about to actually watch a show. Now you're going to have to bend reality for a moment or suspend reality, but there's a moment where he sees an open door and he basically just walks through it. That would never happen in real life, but let's go with it. So he walks through it. And in doing so, he ends up meeting a couple of people that in this fictional world, give him access to the behind the scenes of Cirque du Soleil. And so the rest of the story is him really, reconnecting with his own values, reconnecting with his creativity and reconnecting with why he does the work that he does. So he ends up not only seeing behind the scenes of that show that night, but he gets to go to the training campus for Cirque du Soleil. Um, He actually has a client who begins to audition for Cirque du Soleil. So that gives him an excuse to actually go to the campus. And be on site, learn about what they do, and again is sort of connecting with himself along the way. I'll read a little excerpt from the back, real quick, kind of gives you an idea. It says When people ask where my remarkable journey began, I tell them that it was somewhere between the first and seventh doors. At least that's where I found myself after I left behind the cacophony of the casino with its blinking lights, rolling dice, and excitement around every corner. I was searching for something, though for what I didn't know. Something extraordinary. Something beyond the mundane world of marketing and money that had brought me to Las Vegas in the first place. Something beyond the grind that had become my life. I was about to escape to my hotel room for a moment of tranquility when I saw two men dressed in black work outfits walking away from the slot machines, "'toward a quieter part of the casino. "'It was in almost a dreamlike state that I followed them. "'They disappeared through a plain white door, "'perhaps the only portal in the casino "'that didn't seem to announce what was on the other side. "'Intrigued, I pushed on it, and it opened.'" Again, we're probably going to have to suspend disbelief for a moment that someone could just walk through a door in a casino and not be tackled by security. But we'll give them the benefit of suspending that disbelief. So let's walk through it. Let's—I'm uh, just going to open to a couple of my tabs, and we will see what I thought was interesting at different points of my life. Apparently, uh, all right. So page eleven. Um, he is just kind of talking about his friend Mike, who had passed away. And he said, Mike was always saying that life was too short to do something you didn't feel passionate about. I love that. I love that phrase, um, especially when it comes to wild hearts at work. <laughs> and by that, I mean, a lot of times when people are saying that they're in some sort of an argument about becoming an entrepreneur. So they often say that, um, You know, life's too short, so you should quit your job and jump into the deep end and start your own business. And I totally agree with that and love that. And I love that journey for people. But not everyone can or wants to do that. And I love that, you know, sneaking ahead and knowing how the book turns out, that's not where this is necessarily going. But rather, he's talking about finding passion at work contributing to the mission in the place that you already are. So I love that. Uh, Let's go to the next one. All right. So the next one says, I'll tell you what's more important. She's very gutsy. And if a person is courageous and generous enough, we can teach them the rest. To me, creativity is first and foremost, all about courage. The willingness to take risks, to try new things, and to share the experience with others. And that girls as lion-hearted as they come. I remember this quote, and I remember talking about it in almost every single book club that I did this in. Because it's so true. You don't have creativity without vulnerability. And you don't have vulnerability without, or pushing through vulnerability without courage. And so absolutely, creativity is first and foremost all about courage. And actually, I kind of hope that that's what this podcast helps people to do is to find their courage and find that creativity at work. While again, I'm a big believer in entrepreneurship, there's also a way to find that where you are in the place that you work right now. Or to find a place that will support you in that. But you don't have to work for yourself in order to be able to access creativity or courage. All right, let's go to the next one. So this one's similar to the one before, actually. Um, This one says... As Igor had made clear, nothing of significance could be accomplished without taking a leap of faith. But first, you needed a vision. And so this one's interesting because he's talking about, you know, leap of faith kind of alludes to courage. He's talking about courage, but courage without some sort of vision or substance behind it can sometimes put you in an interesting position. It's not that you have to have everything figured out. He doesn't say, you know, first you need a detailed five-year plan but you do need a vision you need something to align to because sometimes courage leads you into some difficult situations or you know conflict and when you can keep your eyes on that vision and you can keep steady that kind of keeps you there it gives you the strength to keep carrying on um so another one that's on a similar page it says, now fully awake, I remembered the reason that poster, among others, had been hanging on the wall of the CERC headquarters. And by the way, that po- poster basically had like their mission or the purpose. So that everyone at Circ would keep in mind the reason that they were there and the purpose of their work. It is so incredibly important for all of us to know why we're doing what we're doing. And some of the most successful companies that I know, and particularly the companies that are successful at reaching creative people, at reaching unique and innovative people, are the ones who keep the mission front and center. Because again, back to purpose, back to mission, you need that sometimes in the middle of a hard space. When when you have courage and you like push through Sometimes it doesn't take you all the way. Sometimes you need something to remind you why you're doing what you're doing. And especially when those companies can help their employees understand how they're helping the customer. They're centering human beings toward that vision. And in that vision, then it makes it easier to push through some of those hard times. All right. Page 42. Ooh, this one's hard. (laughs) I remember this one. So the people I shared my crazy idea with received it not with contempt, but with compassion. When you finally give voice to your dreams, you never know what's going to happen. Some of the most difficult times in my career that I can think of have been times when I voiced a vision or a dream and I received the opposite. I received contempt or resistance or pushback, and I didn't receive compassion. Now, I can absolutely take criticism, Criticism, I can absolutely take feedback and like, here are some ways that you can make that idea better. But when someone just stonewalls your idea, no matter what it is, when they stonewall your vision, then sometimes it just dies on the spot. And if that's happened to you enough times, then that fire that lives within us all can start to slowly go out. And so I really encourage all of you listening, especially if you're leaders, well, we're all leaders, frankly. So all of you listening, when someone shares their heart with you, when they share a vision or an idea, even if it sounds crazy to you, can we think in terms of a yes and? can we think in terms of extending the idea rather than meeting their idea with contempt and with a wall? Because it's possible that there, you know, even if the idea sounds crazy that there's something really good in there and maybe the two of you together could get it to an idea that makes a lot of sense. So in this particular instance, again, he shared an idea and he was met with compassion and It shaped the experience that he was having. And that also makes you much more willing to share more ideas. We certainly don't need less ideas in this world. We need more. We need more innovation. We need more creativity. And when someone offers that to us, we need to not shut them down. All right. Next one on page 88. So here it says, had I become deaf to the little things that signaled what people were really feeling when trouble was coming? How could I open my ears and listen better? So in this particular instance, he's still at Circ, but he's sort of reflecting back on his day job and, you know, how people around him were feeling. And he's beginning to realize that maybe he had not just lost connection with himself, but lost connection with other people. He had become deaf to those little things. So people around us give us signals that something is not going well, whether you are a leader and it's people on your team, or it's your teammates, or it's your family. You know, often we hear these little signals. They're trying to tell us something before they actually tell us. And it's incredibly important that we don't become immune to that. We don't become deaf to it. So sometimes, you know, it's in the form of asking a whole lot of questions or it's in the form of what feels like pushback. But like I always tell my kids, like no one gets up in the morning and says, I want to make someone else's day miserable today. For the most part, people don't do that. So if there is resistance or pushback or these little signals that you're getting from people, it might benefit all of us to get a little more curious and to ask more questions when that is happening. Assume the best and, you know, dig in a little deeper to figure out what might be going on. All right, I'm going to move on. Page 103 it's actually kind of related to the quote before. Uh, So he's talking about um, kind of aerial tricks and the, you know, the feeling of flying. But he says, "The the greatest danger is not failing, but getting comfortable of reaching a certain altitude and putting the show on autopilot. And so... I think some of that's pretty self-explanatory, but absolutely I have found myself sometimes putting it all on autopilot. And the problem with that isn't just how it affects your daily work, but also how it affects you. Um, When we're not tuned into our passions, our creativity, the things that light us up and make us excited, whether that's at work or at home, when we're not plugged into those things, eventually that's going to start to wear on us and we might even start to experience burnout because it's in those creative moments, in those moments that light us up, that we actually start to end the stress cycles that have plagued us and allow us to move on. You know, you hear people talking about like an outlet. So you can't be on autopilot Just going, you know, to your job every day and not tapping into the things that make you happy or light you up creatively or that make you feel like you're making impact on the world. This is kind of fun and also like a little nerve wracking because I really don't know what's going to come up on the next page. All right. So page 115. Fuller said when he started to design something to solve a problem, he was not trying to make something beautiful, but if his final solution was not beautiful, he knew he had missed something. So that one's kind of interesting. He's not trying to design something beautiful. He's just trying to solve a problem, but the assumption is that it will be beautiful on the way to solving the problem. So I wonder if you've ever experienced something like that where, you know, you were really focused on making something solve a problem for someone, but you got to the end and like it it just wasn't beautiful, then if it also actually didn't solve the problem. I wonder if I highlighted that one because I was, you know, not sure if I had experienced that or not. It's very interesting. I mean, there's definitely something to be said about solving a problem that with with a solution that no one wants to use. So maybe that's what he's getting at, is that we really have to take into account the experience of the user, of the person who's, whose problem needs to be solved. That if it's not beautiful, if the experience is not good, then maybe solve them. The problem doesn't matter as much. I don't know. That one's kind of interesting to me. Uh, next one, page one sixteen. Oh, I love this. I love this so much. In fact, Cirque purposely teams up people from different backgrounds with different personalities in the hopes that we'll come up with something more original. I don't know if you could come up with a better argument for diversity. I mean, they purposely team up people expecting that different voices, different experiences, different ideas will come together to make something absolutely beautiful. And I love that idea because it's true, right? You know, if, if I had four other Melissa's in the room with me, I'm sure that whatever we came up with, whatever we created, I would like it. But that doesn't mean anyone else would. And so the idea of diversity in teams is something that's very important to me. And when I say diversity, I'm not just talking about the obvious ones, right? Like we're all diverse in some way, shape, or form. I am diverse in one way because I grew up in Alaska. My husband is diverse in a different way because he was a public school teacher for 18 years, and he has a very different perspective as a result. Now, there are definitely some diversities that we've neglected in the past, and I'm really excited that to see the world kind of recognizing that, but we all bring a different perspective to the table. And so diversity can even be in your role at work. I have seen some incredible teams come together from marketing and IT and you know, customer support And when they all come together and they all can represent a different angle of the problem, then the solution that you come up with is so much more creative than anything any of them could have come up with alone. You even experience that, I don't know, in your family. So, you know, my husband, myself, my kids are all trying to solve a problem in our home And maybe my daughter has read a book that I haven't read, or my son experienced something when he was playing video games that contributes to solving the problem. So the more that we can bring people together that have had different experiences and place a problem in front of them, I think the more likely you're going to come up with a much more creative solution. So I love that quote. It's probably why I highlighted it a bunch of times. Um... Mm. All right. Last one. This is on page 120. And it says, if you want to live fully, Philippi said with a smile, you have to trust. And this one in particular, I mean, that's hard. It's like, we all know that to a certain degree, but it's hard. It's hard to trust a lot of things. It's hard to trust yourself. It's hard to trust your intuition It's not always easy to trust the people around you, Um, especially in a very corporate environment. You know, I think there's a lot of lack of trust. People don't trust other people's intentions. They're afraid that they have some sort of agenda that might hurt them, but we can't live that way. Like Philippi said in the book, if you want to live fully, you have to trust. And so... I think one thing that you could take away from this podcast in that last quote is how can you put yourself in a position where you can trust more? So it might mean asking some questions of the people around you so that you can put the stories in your head to rest. It might mean suggesting a working agreement with your group, with your team. And in that working agreement, you know, you, Talk about what would help you feel safe and what would help them feel safe. There are lots of ways that you can manage your ability to trust, but all of them are very intentional. So it's possible to organically develop trust over time, but it really does take quite a bit of time. And so there are ways in which that you can not manufacture trust, but manage it, find ways to you know, create trust between yourself, the people around you, your boss. And so maybe that's the thing that I'll encourage you to take away today is in order to be creative, you have to have a vision. You have to be willing to take a leap. You have to have courage. And often in order to have courage, you have to have a little bit of trust. And so find ways to create that trust in yourself and with the people around you bring together really diverse groups and then create something absolutely amazing that maybe you didn't even dream was possible. So again, these were excerpts from the spark igniting the creative fire that lives within us all created by Lynn Hayward and written by John Bacon. I'll put the link to the Amazon uh seller in the comments of the podcast. I actually don't think it's in print anymore, but you can generally seem to buy it used from, you know, different booksellers. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. This was a bit of an experiment. So let me know in the comments or, you know, send me an email or find me on Twitter and let me know how you liked this particular type of book review. Um, But thank you for joining me today on the Wild Hearts at Work podcast. And as always, dear friends, stay wild. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more resources and to connect with Melissa, visit melissabogs.com. Also, if you or someone you know is doing great work in a wild way, get in touch about being a guest on the show. Until next time.